Hey everyone. While we are on hiatus this summer, ahead of season four dropping in the fall, the Gen X Stories crew is re-releasing some of our most popular episodes. And today's, unfortunately, is pretty appropriate for our world right now. After the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade on June 24th, 2022, so many of us have been very, very upset. Most of our listeners and our show hosts have not known a time when abortion wasn't legal and safe. So we all worry what this means for our country, both in terms of bodily autonomy and overall human rights, since we know this is just the beginning of unraveling so much more. If you are a beloved woman in your life of any age, have also been dealing with how to manage a changing world, this episode is for you. Well, some may ask why are a bunch of midlife Gen Xers so concerned when we are likely past our reproductive years. We all know that this just isn't about us. It's about anyone with a uterus, young or old. To that end, I personally have been moved by how many feminists, man, woman, child, old, young, everybody, are stepping up to take this fight with us. Which made me think of this discussion that Laurie, Courtney, and I had on October 6, 2021, about being women in the world right now, and what we went through growing up. The support for anyone with a uterus has been remarkable. Well, <laughs> among pro-choice people, that is. To the point that camping, the right to camp, <laughs> the states where you can legally still camp, and people who will help you recover from camping is all over social media. One thing allies have spoken about as well is that we need to work with well-established networks that are already in place to help. So please make sure that if you need them, you reach out so that you or your loved one can be safe. We've also listed post-row resources in our show notes, and they include understanding what the Supreme Court's overturning of this decision means, where abortion is still legal in the U.S., and what states have trigger laws or zombie laws, how to locate a clinic or a provider, getting financial help, and getting legal support. The midterm elections are also going to be more of a battleground for women than ever before, so please, please, please don't sit this one out. Make sure you're registered to vote, make sure you know who the pro-choice candidates in your area are, and make sure you actually vote. As we have mentioned before, things change starting at the local or grassroots level, so please, please let your voice be heard. We've also listed resources in our show notes for where you can find protests locally and how you can protest safely. All right, without further ado, check out the replay in its entirety of our previous episode entitled What It's Like for a Gen X Girl. See y'all next time. My father is FaceTiming me. Hang on a second. <laughs> Not a perfect, Dad, right? It's a, it's a coitus interruption. I'm recording, Dad. Can I? Sorry. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye, oh Dad. He's done that before. I, I know. Dad. I know. Dad, we had a summer party and my father walked in on us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're making out with your boyfriend and your parents come home. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gen X Stories, a podcast about how the so-called lost generation found itself. We are your hosts, Eve, Courtney, and Lori. Chris is away today, so it is a Gen X chick party. In this episode, we are talking about what it's like to grow up as a Gen X woman, what our influences were, how third wave feminism impacted us, and how we turned out. 
All right, on with the show. Hey, ladies. Hey, Eve. Bonjour, mes amis. <laughs> so it's a PJ party. Are we doing a PJ party? <laughs> oh, we're going to have pillow fights. The, the feathers are going to go everywhere. Yes. Like, put our makeup on. <laughs> practice kissing. <laughs> oh, no, you can't. You can't practice. No, no one. Goes uh, in, I don't go in a closet with anybody. I'm sorry. Practice on your pillow. <laughs> oh, we'll be too busy in our underwear right. pillow fighting. So yes, we won't indeed. be able to do that. Indeed. In slow-mo. <laughs> this is when Chris would be like, okay. Hey, uh, I'm going go to go do, I'm going to go like change my oil, ladies. You go for <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, that's a great kidding. euphemism. <laughs> change my oil. Ooh. Okay, guys, this is going to, this, we're good. Oh, this, this is going to be, be fun. I can tell. We're about sober. <laughs> I thought about suggesting that you guys would get drunk and then I thought we'd never like be able to fall the outline. <laughs> so, so Chris, for our audience, he is traveling. I do have a little thought in the back of my head that he'd get home and he'd pop on like Lori did. We can just go shh, 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 shh. But I have a feeling that's not the case. We could spend our whole time picking on them, but we're not gonna. No. Because there's a lot here. And I think we all had different experiences growing up, as we've talked about in a lot of episodes. But I am intrigued about just the female experience. We're grateful to have Chris because he's a feminist guy. But it also is cool that we can open up the floodgates and see where we go. The time we grew up in is an interesting one. My mother was barely a hippie. My father was not. Were any of you guys, were your mothers marching? Not, not. not. Uh, My mom was marching. Uh, you know, oh, Michelle. Right, right. <laughs> but she had purple hair. What? It we is love her. It is That's unclear awesome. if she had purple hair because she intended to, or because the peroxide went wrong. Let's say she intended to. <laughs> yeah, let's give her the let's give her the props. My mom is a little closer to a boomer. My father is is silent generation, and they met at court at the University of Pennsylvania, Aww, and they hated cute. each other because she was an undergraduate and he was in uh, med school, and he was very button up brain. He's a Republican, so he's conservative. She was not. You grew up with Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford. <gasps> oh, the way I, we were. Hubble, the way we were. She's She's Katie. My mother would love that. He looks like Hubble a little bit. But those were your parents. That's a good point because those are the movies that came out of that generation. Did we get raised to be Katie girls? Did we get raised to not sit down and just be quiet? Is I don't sit down. I don't sit down and I'm not quiet to anybody. <laughs> I literally you... have a sticker on my computer that says I won't be remembered as a woman who kept her mouth shut. I have a plaque who said well-behaved women rarely make history. Make history. There you right. go. Do you think that is a universal Gen X woman experience? No. Why not? I have female friends that aren't like that at all. Okay. I think it probably is because I had both parents who said, you can be whatever you want to be. Yep. And you don't need anybody else type of thing. That's how she and my dad were rearing me. D- is that how she wanted to be? And so you were feeling, yes. ah. She was 18 when she got married. And then Courtney. No, I don't think my mom felt constricted by anything. She worked and I was just always raised to think for myself. And if I could make an effective argument, I could disagree with my parents as long as it was done civilly. Well, respectfully. Yeah. Like when I was in kindergarten, I voted for Carter. <laughs> in um, school, you had like a mock, yeah, mock thing. Oh, school, you voted for and, Carter. And, and, and my, my parents were like, who are you? <laughs> I thought I was adopted. Like, just like. <laughs> 
Really? What I loved about my parents is that they always respected my opinion. And so we had really great debates over the dinner table. This is what I always say is that I walked out of my home believing that men would always respect my opinion, even if I disagreed with them. I now realize that that was a unique situation in my home. And that's not always the case. I thought the same thing. And then I was a little shocked when that wasn't the case. Exactly. You're kind of like, what do you mean you don't love me having my opinion and sharing it with you freely? Of course, we're going to have a civil debate and we're going to eat our macaroni and cheese and we're then going to all go to bed and do it again tomorrow. Right. So that was kind of a rude awakening for me. That's a theme that we heard from the women in our Facebook group too. But Carrie had an interesting comment. She said she grew up with a mantra that anything boys could do, girls could do better. Spoiler, it isn't that simple. I just found this from our our Facebook people and the story sort of made me giggle. Sandy Kieser said, I was told not to start fights, but if someone started one, I had permission to finish it. And then I remember one occasion in eighth grade on the bus, one of the little boys was ragging on me that morning as he had for months. Whatever he said that morning had me turning in my seat and cracking him across the face so hard that the bus went silent. He calls up to the bus driver and said, did you see that? She responded, yep, I've waited months for her to do that. I'm intrigued if there are women our age who are just sitting down and shutting up and saying, well, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, because I don't see anyone else who's doing that. Maybe it's because we are in a very sort of bubbly thing. (laughs) I was going to say, I think that you could easily find people who are perfectly happy being the opposite of the three of us. Well, I think there's also that has come out like, the, was it Dr. Laura Schlesinger wrote The Care and Feeding of Husbands, right? Oh, yeah. And then there's all been all sorts of other books at the time and, and it's targeted to our generation. And I think what's interesting is that we were raised with the concept that anything was possible. And I think that was a hard fought battle that was won by the feminist movement. Right. And we were supposed to be the, the recipients of all of that hard work. I think the reality is that social change is slower than the law. You still have generations of people uh, above us in the workplace that were used to a certain way of things. And so it was probably uncomfortable or unusual for, for many people when we sort of all showed up and were like, but of course, this but of is course. what we're going to say and do. And But of course, we're going to expect that we have this um, opportunity. But of course, we're going to think that there's no glass ceiling or we're going to bust through it. And it's taken us how long from that moment in the 80s to get a female vice president and, and- all of the social constructs about having any woman run for high office. So I just think it takes a while for society to catch up with the ideas. With movements. And and changes. And I think we were definitely in that mix. You mentioned this notion of third wave feminism. Then there's the promise of it and there's the execution of it. We've talked about this. I went to an all girls school. That environment really trained in your brain. You are a strong woman. You're going to do what you want to do. We're going to help you get where you got to go. And nobody gave the other side of it. In retrospect, at 51 years old, I look back and go, it would have been nice growing up in that new wave feminism to say, here's what they're saying about us. This is what you're going to face. But here's how you stay strong. I never felt like I was equipped to do that part because I just assumed it was coming. But, but I think that's an interesting point because I think there's been a lot of discourse that's faded now about women giving a hand up to women coming up the ranks. And that didn't always happen because the women that were ahead of us had to fight so hard to be established, to navigate the culture and the system and to achieve their goals. I think it's unfair to put all the blame on them. And there are obviously wonderful examples of women helping women across time. But I do think we as Gen Xers were in a particularly awkward moment of execution of this idea. One of the things I think about feminism is this. You can choose whatever the hell you want. If you want to be a mom, if you want to be working, if you want to be married, if you want to be single, you want to be whatever it is you want to be, you could do whatever choice you make and you'd be respected for that choice. 
I think as a society, we're still struggling with that. I think so too. And that conflict is a, a unique tension because we may have been the first people through that wall and because it's fuzzy. One of the things that Courtney was just talking about is women helping women, but men pit us against each other to not support one another. I'm not saying all men. I feel like we should put some sort of a caveat at the beginning of this that says this is not a man-hating episode. Right, right. But also feminism okay. isn't about hating men. So sad that I even have to feel like we should say this because personally, men, if you're listening, I love you. I don't always love the behavior. I don't love that a woman is hysterical and a man is passionate. I don't love that men in business will oftentimes pit women against each other so that they won't lend the hand and bring someone up. I don't love still being harassed at work in 2021. I worked at a utility my first real career for 10 years. And if that's not a male dominated world, I don't know what is. Even at 23, 24 years old was still very stereotypical. I started in a clerical kind of thing. And then I moved up. The interesting thing is the, the, the people that supported me to come up were the men, not the women, except for one. And then when I went to work for Blogger, it was it was a, a conference women, for women. I was going to say it's a women owned, women focused company. And it was a women founded business. There were men working there, but they were the minority. And that was 2009. And this is a sad statement that it took that long. It took me until 2009 to stop believing that women can't work together without it being a cat fight all the time. Well, there's even that phrase cat fight. Like, I really See? hate that phrase. See? Women can be tough on each other. I, I wonder what kind of fights my mother had to deal mm. with because she talks about things that she struggled in high school with the cat calling. And it was in the 50s. She had to dress a certain way. And dealing with a mother-in-law, I think the previous generation would have been like, yes, whatever, ma'am, whatever you say. My mom did not do that. <laughs> not Katie. Right. And my father never said no to her. That's the other mm. thing. So when we're talking about men, my parents have been married 57 years and he has supported her intensity. And he has supported what that did in me. I've never known anything other than that. So like you said, when you worked in the utility, to come out of an all-girls school and then go into an industry where women were not supported the same way, I, I struggled with that tension until this very day. Really? Yeah. Now I've learned not to sort of go after them and take their knees out, but I, I'll notice it when it happens. Like I said, when you're in a very male dominated space, then no one ever came out and said it a few careers after. I was nervous to go work with and for women. How sad is that? Why is that? Is it because you'd heard that it would be a difficult environment? Well, because because everything that I had been told is that women couldn't get along that instead of lifting mm-hmm. their butting heads. But it was young women. It was older women. It was this amazing group of women that I'd worked there forever. Things hadn't changed with being bought, et cetera, because I loved it. Well, I mean, as shown by the three of us, Courtney, was that ever in your brain? Did you ever sort of get that planted in that women can't work together? No, no. I I always assumed it would. And I, I got very lucky. I had some wonderful female mentors that were really inspiring and helped me a lot. We'd be in a meeting or something and, and like the business deal would be closed in the men's john. Imagine and we that. look at each other and we're like, we couldn't have closed the meeting that No. Way. Like it just wouldn't have happened. <laughs> you don't have the equipment. The deal would not have been done in that way. And we're like, glad the deal was done, but, but it does hearken to some of the limits or some of the soft barriers to entry, so to speak, for participation. But I had great female mentors. So I, I always assumed that would be the case. And I certainly 
try to take that approach as well. I have this quote here that we are a generation of women who came of age, both empowered and duty bound. What kind of duty bound? I don't know. Where did you find this? I think I may have found it in an article about Ada Calhoun, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Obviously that set Lori off because just like what freaking duty. I mean, we think about it. We're a generation of women who you can have it all. Virginia Slims and and cooking up the bacon. Oh, and remember bringing home. home the bacon right? and frying it up in the pan? The bacon. No, 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 no. Up in the pan. Never, ever, ever let you forget. Get your own man. Because I'm a woman. Oh, yeah. But, but that's a conflict. That's what, what we were seeing around us. It's like we're just yes. added to our list, our to do list. Because you can do you can <laughs> do the great shit that you want to do. But you still have to then make dinner and clean up a diaper. Some, because, some, some. Not from here, Laura. We don't we don't have any diapers. Maybe not duty bound is a word that we would all agree with. But the empowered and then a reality check. Yeah, I think that's fair. I came out of graduate school as one of the few female lighting designers out there. But you had to exist in a male oriented world. And I had a male mentor who was lovely and was wonderful and probably a feminist at heart. He didn't prepare me for it. And so when I got out there and there were suddenly guys who weren't like him, I was shocked. You don't see a lot of women. You get in a theater and you have a crew. It's usually all men. And nobody was then protecting me. That's another thing. If I worked with with my mentor, his name is Dennis, he would keep me from seeing that. Or if someone encroached, he'd protect me, which I appreciated. But without those things, I got harassed. And if I ever told you guys that I got harassed uh, in the Philadelphia theater, that the male crew touched me. So I always wore skirts and I would keep a pager in the back of my waistband because we had pagers back then. And I'm like doing notes on the stage. And one stage hand puts his hand in the lower of my back and then takes the pager off my belt. And I'm 24 years old. And he was like, oh, you had a problem? Oh, oh, here, honey, here's your pager. And I'm like, what? What? What And the lighting lighting designer was not my mentor. He didn't do anything. And I'm like, oh, this is how it's going to be then. Okay then this is how it's going to be. They didn't give me that in the rule book. They didn't tell you that in order to deal in a technical career like that, you have to be different than a man. For example, according to notes in theater, you give notes and then you work with your crew and your crew makes changes. I had to either be one of two ways, a stone cold bitch or a cream puff. I couldn't just say, hey, can you move that? It was like, I don't have enough fucking time, move it. Or honey, would you mind moving that over just a little bit? Oh no, just maybe a little bit more. That'd be great. Thank you so much, honey. I really appreciate it. <laughs> That's how you had to survive. I'm exhausted just hearing you explain it. And to be honest, I left theater in 1996 and ended up in the web world. Sexism pushed me out. That was one of the reasons I got out. Mm. To be a woman in that industry, they weren't going to let you in. It was eye-opening in a way that really took me down. This sort of reminds me, your world in design was not that far from my world in events. I had a guy, I'll never forget it as long as I live. He was an exhibitor. He was moving in. He didn't like my answer. He confronted me in front of several people, two, three of them being my male counterparts, and called me the C word repetitively. What? Because he didn't like my answer. And my male counterparts did nothing. And I was like, you don't, you don't have permission to speak to me that way. I was so upset after that. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you get so angry as a woman, you cry. It isn't the anger. The crying is not feeling like you have a way to deal with it. It's a frustration. Getting angry is good. We're crying because we're pissed off because we're recognizing we don't have room to stand up for ourselves. According to your point about we cry out of frustration, we cry out of anger. It gets interpreted differently. We're so invested and it makes us angry and we cry about it. And then it seems like, oh, but they're emotional. See what I mean? It, 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 it marginalizes. It marginalizes. Right. And that reality is still hard to stomach. Get people that are in 
leadership positions? Like what were all the horrible names? However you feel about Anna Winator in charge of Vogue? Like she was called Dragon queen. Lady. Ice Queen. This is a woman who's at the top of her field for decades, who's decisive, who knows what she wants. If she was a man, she would never be called these negative terms. However you feel about Hillary Clinton, she was derided, derogatory comments because she was a woman. How, how are kids being raised these days, do you think? Women being raised to deal with this. Here's what I'm going to say. The women ahead of us. They okay. opened the door for us. And okay, because I'm like, us. Gloria yeah. Steinem kind of no. opened. So I no, I agree with you. We had those as our as our mentors or, or our or role know, models role or models and heroes okay. and all that. Yeah. We are the heroes and the roles models for the younger women right now. I've had many people say, would you talk to so-and-so and would you talk to so-and-so? And the thing is this, is that I'm not going to be doing this forever. I might as well help someone. And I'm like, hey, you want to talk? I'll give you my time. Call me when you have questions. I'll help you. If I know, I'll tell you. I think the generation of your kids, Courtney, they are growing up differently and they have some different tools. I hope they don't suffer through what we did as much, but I don't know. I think it's definitely different now in terms of how kids interact with one another. And I, on the one hand, I think it's generational, but I also think things are a lot different because of social media. So I think awareness is higher. I think consequences are more present and yep. and immediate. I think it's a completely different dynamic now. I hope it's better, but like you said, it takes a while to catch things up. Right. And you're a parent of a boy. But I want to also believe that when your child grows up to be a man dealing with women in the workplace, he's going to handle it a little differently. I hope. <laughs> they're, they're already handling the friendships differently. It's a totally different world. And I think there are much bigger issues happening now, well beyond traditional gender roles that they are coping with that I think take precedent over what we experienced. And that's how it should be. It's it's funny, like mine and my mentors dealt with being gay in her generation a lot differently than being gay in our generation was, where it was much more open and much more accepted and it wasn't a big deal. But in her generation, it was a big deal. And so that next generation, we had different issues we were coping with. And I think the generation following us is, has slightly different issues. Certain things get normalized and certain things, new things come to the fore. Remember when Sheryl Sandberg did the lean in thing? Mm-hmm. She got a lot of crap for that though. Some women were like, yes, I'm there. Some people were like, nah, I don't know if I, I support that. So yeah. here's the thing with lean in. I, I didn't think she said anything that Gloria Steinem didn't say. I think she was saying it for this generation. Mm-hmm. And I don't disagree with much of what she said. Why shouldn't you be at the table? The fact that it was that recent act actually bothers me that you actually had to like say, okay, put it on paper. Here's a thing. I think it was important to be said for this generation. I don't know. Is, is lean in just a, just another way to say it's feminism? She's re-articulating the things that we grew up knowing and now it's just like cementing it again. She wrote about what she knew. She wrote about what had worked for her. She yeah. was successful. And my guess was someone approached her about it. A lot of CEOs and other industry leaders write books about how to do well in their field. So I, I don't know that it was that different. I think it's because it was a woman and this notion of leaning in was, was very... A sexy title. I should say a seductive title. But the reality is she had a lot of help to do what she did. And I think that's the only part of that whole book that bothered me was that there was not a reality check on she was able to succeed because she had exceptional help at home. And there were even problems with her family. She had to step back for issues related to her kids. So there wasn't a realistic depiction of what that meant. It was an idealization of an oversimplified mantra for women to feel empowered. 
That's why I sort of was always on the fence about it because I almost felt a little judged Hmm. because even if I took those principles and tried to put those into place when I was in theater, it wouldn't have worked. I think I told you guys the story. I was having a hard time getting a job when I left grad school and I went back to go talk to my production manager who suggested I go to New York and get a makeover. (laughs) Oh, good. You did not tell us. In my end, what lighting guys look like. They barely bathe and they're covered in keys and they're wearing jeans and I'm wearing skirts and dresses. He's like, well, go to New York and then they're going to give you the makeup and then they'll give you the right suit and then you wear the hose and the right shoes and then they'll take you seriously. Well, this was not my mentor. And I'm like, if I had the balls, I would have said, fuck you. But I was like, thanks. And I left. That was the solution for a quote unquote woman like me in that world. <laughs> Lean in wouldn't have solved that for me. You guys ever hear of a woman named Ada Calhoun? She wrote a book called well, Why We yeah. Can't Sleep. And she made this massive splash. Everybody was talking about this book. It is aimed at Gen X women of a certain age dealing with the stressors, being a sandwich generation, basically how Gen X women go through a midlife crisis. Mm. A lot of people were sort of lauding here. For me, it kind of felt like you talked about with Cheryl. It's like, yeah, I know. We know. Yay for you for getting out there. And people think you're a fresh new voice, but we know this shit. What did she say? Hitting midlife and the psychic duality where dreams give way to responsibility can be challenging for Gen Xers who have high expectations. Like, duh. I'm just curious, like why this got published? (laughs) Because the data is not accurate. Do people think there's like a lack of this kind of book for us on the market? I think she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that got some attention. Then she got out there with Oprah. Oprah. And then she actually talked about going through the pandemic with the book that she was happy that she had those coping mechanisms she learned while she was writing the book when she was doing the pandemic. I'm like, that's that's great. You've described every woman over 50. Yeah, because my question is, she's making the claim that this is a Gen X issue, but I think every generation has this midlife crisis. I don't think it's unique to us. So I feel like that's a missed opportunity. I feel like I would have had this conversation with her over dinner and been like, oh, that was interesting. (laughs) Or it's an article, not a book. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't actually finish the whole book because I couldn't get through it. When it came out, everyone's like, oh, you're into Gen X. This is a Gen X women's issue. And I was kind of like, yeah, mm, mm -mm." I I don't begrudge her. She touched a nerve. She did. And maybe it elevated stuff that we just sort of internalize and don't talk about. But Courtney brought up a really interesting word, which is midlife crisis. What does a midlife crisis look like for Gen X women these days? Is it the same? Like you said, every generation runs into this in their late 40s, 50s. For me, it hit when I was fired by the generation behind me. And that was like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought I knew who I was. Now I don't know who I was. And I was 49. I I think the word midlife crisis is a weird phrase because you think midlife crisis for men and and they get the Corvette with the blonde. For women, it's different. Is it kind of like, okay, well, that's the next thing to get over. We've been trained that we can do anything and be anything. Step back, fix it, move forward. Yeah, that's a good question. Is midlife crisis the right phrase for us? I I don't like like the word. Amongst the women I know, everyone's just evolving. People have different stages of their life. I have some friends who got married right out of school and their kids are now heading off to college. I have other friends who are like me who have kids that are right smack in the middle of growing. And so you're at different phases of your life, but as you're evolving, you're trying new things. You're stretching. You, you Either you're like hitting peaks in your career Maybe you're trying a new career or maybe mm-hmm. a lot of them are starting businesses or starting new experiences. I mean, I just think it's incredible the innovation and dynamism. Is that a word? Um, it is now. <laughs> of, of, of the women that I know. I, I, I'm always very inspired. Badasses. I, I just like- think midlife crisis is a, is a convenient term for maybe what ends up being bad behavior. He divorced his wife and got a new model. So he was having a midlife crisis. No, he's just an asshole. 
the dick in a Corvette. I think Courtney's right. It's an evolution. I don't feel like I've had one yet. And I'm more than midlife at this point. But you're, you're not you're not having a crisis, but you are evolving. Like you've made a choice yeah. to, to move, to establish yourself in a different place. You, you are right. I love that. And I think we've seen that in lots of different ways too. The Women's March was a huge deal. Seeing that many women in one place, transgenerational, because you saw a lot of different types of women represented there. That was awesome. I thought that was amazing. And people were bringing their daughters. Yeah. Grandmothers who had marched on Washington before came and did it with their daughter and their granddaughter. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that evolution. I think that that midlife evolution, I think, is actually much better. Maybe not even midlife, just like evolution is a really good word for who we are, because we are raising strong women. We are supporting strong women who are ahead of us. I guess it's the same thing that you guys were talking about. It's just the next I, evolution. Yeah. And I also think like the the younger generations are, are calling it out for what it is. There's the, Maisie Williams is an actress and she's famous for playing Arya Stark oh, in yes. Game of Thrones. Wonderful quote. And she basically said, I don't know why we're using the term feminist because isn't everyone a feminist? Because we're all just human. So if you're not a feminist, then you're just sexist. So really, mm. we're all just humans or you're sexist. <laughs> Those are your choices. Well, that's such a great perspective. I think we all need a drink. Remember that scene from 13 going on 30 where all the girls are dressed up and they're singing love is a battlefield and they're yes. in there. We need to do that. We are. We are strong. No, Don't we won't no, sing for you. No, no. I'm not going to sing for you. I take it back. I'm <laughs> like, oh, crazy. A bunch of crazies. We hope when, when Chris listens back to this, he goes, uh, God, I wasn't there. He doesn't say exactly that. That's exactly what he's going to do. <laughs> we miss you, Chris. We We're going to go off and put on some fuzzy PJs. I'm going to put on some fuzzy PJs. That is it for us this week. Thank you for listening to Gen X Stories. Drop a note at hello at genxstories.com and we'll do some shout outs on a future episode. You can also subscribe to Gen X Stories on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Gen X Stories or join our ever-growing Facebook group where we talk about all this good stuff. We all have a Gen X story. What's yours? <laughs> <laughs>